yeah, if you want to see it, it pays to be strong and tall. Um, yeah, on objects, one of the few, not one of the few, it's one of the things in CrossFit that favors a tall person. I think old CrossFit used to be very much favored the short people. You used to see at the games, it was range of motion stuff, pull-ups and thrusters. But as as the sports evolved and the um, the, the the kind of tests have expanded, you see now at the games, it's a, it's a complete mixed bag of athletes, like tall and short. So I think now it's safe to say there's no real, there's no real favorite. In partnership with The Morning Chalk Up and part of The Morning Chalk Up Podcast Network, this is the Clydesdale Fitness and Friends. My name is Scott Schweitzer. I am your host and the Clydesdale. My friends are Amy Radowski, Charlie Odie, and Kat Shear. We are here to bring you the best interviews with the biggest personalities in the fitness world and CrossFit from all over the world. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating and write a review. It's such a big help to our podcast. And with that, we're on to this week's episode of the Clydesdale Fitness and Friends. RX Mark Your Jump Ropes, the best jump ropes in the business. Our title sponsor and such great support from them. You can get your RX Mark Your Jump Ropes by going to rxmarkier.com. At checkout, use Clydesdale15, all caps, and you can get 15% off your order. Uh, you can buy jump ropes of any color, shape, size, uh, the handles, you can make those whatever you want. You can get the cable at different weights um, and different lengths depending on your height. So check it out at rxmarkier.com. Use Clydesdale15 at checkout and you'll get 15% off your order. That does exclude new additions, new arrivals and special editions. But check that out. Uh, it's a great deal. In addition to that, they're also supporting our hashtag road to a thousand. If you subscribe to our YouTube channel, Clydesdale Fitness and Friends podcast, and you have a public profile, every time we hit the century mark with subscribers, we're giving away a brand new RX Mercury jump rope. And Dave Newman, the owner of the company, has promised to throw in a couple extras uh, for that winner. So make sure you go over, subscribe and uh, you have a public profile and me, you may be our next winner. So we are with Royce Dunn, four-time games athlete, athlete, two times on a team, two times individual, and uh, head coach at CrossFit Torian. So you are father of three, husband of one, and Jesus first is what your Instagram says. Yes. I, I'm interested about the husband of one. <laughs> is that to just make sure that everybody knows you're not a polygamist? Yeah, it's it more just a joke. Just the, uh, I just thought it, it was my attempt at being witty after the uh, <laughs> father of three, father of three comment. So yeah, just a bit of, just a bit of cheekiness. <laughs> um, so does your wife CrossFit? She has in the past and, um, and dabbles every now and then, but um, she doesn't love it. Like it's not, she's not passionate about exercise. It's, it, she would do it just for health. Um, we got a home gym at home, so um, she's been obviously pregnant on and off for a lot of the last five five years. So without three kids, so um, she's been kind of taking it easy as far as doing CrossFit. But um, she stayed home as well, so like driving into the gym and and doing the class is not super appealing for her. Like for a lot of people, it's a funny lesson, I guess, about CrossFit. Like like we say about CrossFit, it's CrossFit is for anyone, but it's not for everyone. Like some people just don't don't enjoy it. Um, Laurie's not someone who's ever um, enjoyed the exercise part of it, um, so she'd much rather just go out to our shed and do a 10-minute workout 
for the for the health for the for the exercise benefit and get on with their day rather than um, make it a whole hour, which is kind of the opposite of why most people go to CrossFit is because they want that hour escape. So it's just it just comes out of interest. But um, she she's definitely um, in it enough to understand you know what what the world of CrossFit is. And so, um, how did you guys meet? We just met at a party through friends a few years ago, seven, uh, nine years ago to be exact. Um, it was just literally like, you know, it sounds cheesy, but it was kind of love at first sight in a weird way. Like I kind of just thought, this is the girl I want to get to know and um, just, you know, never look back. And was this, was it the same for her? Yeah, that's what she, she confirms. She was the one who, like, she, this was before, I guess, um, I mean, social media was around nine years ago, but it wasn't, like, the way you met people, but um, at least not in my experience. But, um, like, before I even got home from that night, she added me on Facebook. And, um, and uh, yeah, so she was she was definitely the, the one chasing me down um, in a way. But she's like that. She's a very much a, a go-getter um, and, uh, you know, definitely pursues what she wants and... Um, a little bit more laid back when it comes to like our like personal relationship. Um, yeah, she's, she's definitely the more uh, forceful personality, I think. Yeah. And you guys have three kids and, and one is pretty new, right? Yeah. Chloe is, uh, I think four months now, April 27th. She was, so uh, I can't do math. I never, I never can keep track of the months very well in my head. I guess that makes us what we're in August now, nearly September. So yeah, four or five months. And, uh, and two boys, is that right? Or, Two boys, yeah. So a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and then our daughter is the, is the four months. And uh, what's what's the most fun you get to do with your kids? Um, honestly, it's just the silly stuff. Like um, one of their favorite games is that I lie on the floor and they jump into me and then I kind of catapult them onto the couch and they just love being like thrown around and like they, they love to wrestle. Like they're, they're classy boys. They just love a good wrestle and uh Paul Laurie cops it sometimes and they want to wrestle with mama, but she's like trying to breastfeed or something and it's just not, not her cup of tea. So um, they definitely love to, uh, when daddy gets home to rough, do some rough housing. Yeah. When my nephews were really little, they liked to get into a pillowcase and I would like mm-hmm. spin them around inside the pillowcase. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then like they love any, the anything spinning. Yeah. And kids like little boys, I think, I guess little girls too, but it, obviously my boys, they just love anything spinny or throwy or swingy. Like you pick them up and swing them. They want to do it's one thing it calls loop the loop where I just pick them up and like flip him end over end onto the couch and like just crazy stuff. They just love to like, yeah, do anything physically potential with injury. They love to do it. <laughs> and, and you mentioned you have a home gym and I, and I think on social media, it looks, it looks like a, like a mini barn, mm-hmm. uh, maybe like a shed. Um, and how did that come about? So basically, we um, we living in a townhouse, um, kind of in the city, near, close to work, because it was it was a good location, and we loved that place. But um, we had we had Jack was um, maybe eighteen months old, and we were expecting Harry, and we thought, oh, two kids are gonna be tough. We sh- we should start looking. Um, Harry was born, and then when we ha- when he started to crawl and walk, so maybe a, a year after that. Um, that's when we started to realize like we, we need more space. So we started looking for houses and um, we actually had friends. Um, so we had two of Laurie's friends, both had, so one girl has two boys and one girl has two girls and all six of our kids are basically the same age, like four, a four-year-old or two-year-old in every family. So it was just, and they all lived out this way. 
So we thought it just makes sense to look out this way. It was a bit further away from work, but we wanted to be out in the suburbs that we could, you know, have a lawn and, and have space. And we literally looked for a place with a, with a big shed. And um, and we found this place. And, and like the shed, obviously, was like, yep, that's what we need. We want to build a home gym so I could spend more time at home training and, and with the family. And then we looked at the house and the house was like a dream house. So we were like, okay, this is all the, all the boxes ticked. This is how it's supposed to be. Um, and so we put an offer. We got we got a really good price. It was during during COVID, during the lockdown. So the market's technically not good, but the way our real estate agent put it to us was, look, if, if before COVID came about, people had plans. They had they had houses they want to sell and houses they want to buy, and can't wait forever. Like people are still going to want to buy and sell, and and they did. So we managed to sell our house and and buy this place, and it was a super smooth process. Very grateful for it. Yeah, it looks awesome. Is there any one piece of equipment that you would dream to put in that shed that you don't have already? Um, there's, there's nothing major that I'm missing. Like, like basically, uh, if I could not use anything except what's in the shed for a whole year of games training, I, I would be fine. Um, I'd be able to cover every base. The only thing that, um, like little things that would be cool to have that are, that are almost like battery things would be, it'd be nice to get the pig, for example, to start putting the pig. Um, it would be nice to, uh, yeah, I think a pig's for the only thing I can think of. There, there are a few things that, that I think of during the year that I'm like, oh, should I get one of those? And it's more just like, as I say, very situational stuff to, to train for that might come up with the games. But if you didn't have access to a pig at all, or if you only used one, like, like I didn't train with a pig all last year until right before the games, flipping one at Rich's house and, that was that was the least part of that workout for me as far as difficulty. So there, there are certain things you don't have to really train with, whereas like you know putting your hands in a barbell or doing gymnastics, something you've got to do all year round if you want to be any, any good at it come the game. So now I'm very satisfied with, with the shed. I'm very grateful. Yeah, so they would be more like that odd object thing, and I think I mean you're pretty good at the odd objects anyway, right? Yeah, it, honestly, it pays to be strong and tall. Um, yeah, on objects, one of the few, not one of the few, it's one of the things in CrossFit that favors the tall person. I think old CrossFit used to be very much favored the short people. You used to see at the games, there was range of motion stuff, pull-ups and thrusters. But as as the sport's evolved and the um, the the, uh, the kind of tests have expanded, you see now at the games, it's a, it's a complete mixed bag of athletes, like tall and short. So I think now it's safe to say there's no real, there's no real favorite. Yeah, oh, sorry, I, actually, no, that's what I was going to say. The, the one, if I could, you know, unlimited budget, the dream piece of equipment to have at the, at the house would be, uh, not in the shed, per se, but uh, a lap pool. Having a swimming pool, like, on the property would be pretty uh, pretty pimp and would definitely add to convenience of not having to leave the home and go out to the pool and get all sorted and come home again. You got to just roll outside, go for a swim. That'd be, that'd be the one thing I'd add, yeah. Yeah, and the value of the house would go way up, right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, I think I read somewhere that the, the people said that you are the biggest CrossFit athlete um, that we have right now. You're six foot, 225 pounds. Is that about right? Um, well, so that's, that's what I have on my, on my games bio. But funny story was right before the games, right two weeks out, we were at Richard's house. Um, Rich had a couple of old, we were getting a, doing this big sandbag workout. He, had a, he was pulling out all the sandbags. It was like a huge group of us. So we we're trying to use all the um all the sandbags you haven't touched for a while and they just lose their sand slowly over time like just through the dust escaping or whatever so rich was weighing them all just to make sure we were we were having a 20 pound too light sandbag because some of them were really far out and then of course we all started weighing ourselves and i weighed it at 232 pounds so um that was 
I was the heaviest athlete at the games by at least 10 pounds. I think, I think Brent's probably the next heaviest. He's about 220, maybe 215. And he's a little taller than me. He's just, a, he's maybe, probably not even, a, not even a full inch, maybe half an inch taller than me. Um, but I'm definitely the heaviest. And Jason Hopper's taller than me too, but I'm definitely the heaviest by at least 10 pounds. I mean, sometimes it's, it's 40 pounds against some of the guys. So, so what drew you to this sport that really isn't for us bigger guys? I mean, the name of my <laughs> podcast is the Clydesdale, right? Uh, because yeah, I'm a bigger yeah. athlete and, uh, yeah. and, and I appreciate other big athletes. Um, so what drew you into this crazy sport? Uh, honestly, it was it was a similar story, I think, to a lot of, a lot of high school athletes. Was, uh, I played sport growing up, obviously, and um, you kind of just, once you leave school, unless you make it into a, into a professional, um, like, kind of situation with that sport, the sport kind of ends, like, you know, just, you could, you could run, do a social touch football fixtures with your mates, but, like, it's so hard to get adults to, to commit to a schedule, people at work, life, family, so you kind of just lose that structure and that, it almost like it's a given, right? All through high school, it's a given that you play sport and you know, it's a good, it's a fun time on a Saturday, and then you just kind of lose that that aspect. And so I was, I was just training normal gym stuff and looking for something like that. And when I found CrossFit, it was just suggested to me as a way of um of just getting some inspiration for working out, for programming wise, for, for clients I was PTing. Just you know, check out their, you know, one of the best things about CrossFit Google is to get this, like that, they, the website's free. Anyone can just log on, check out these workouts, you know unlimited reason like amazing resources in, in health and fitness for anyone to use it's a beautiful thing that crossfit do and um so i was checking it out and looking at the workouts and i thought hey these look, some of these look pretty fun i should give these a try myself they look like they'd be pretty tough and then i just got addicted i just thought this kind of training is just so fun it, it's like you're playing a game every every training session can feel like like a little game and uh, which is you know double-edged sword that's why people like crossfit because it's competitive but it can also you can also get people a bit um, down the wrong path of where they're trying to compete every day in the wad rather than it, you know, there's a difference between it being friendly competition and, and you know, makes you feel that, that buzz of like getting to race versus people just kind of like making it their obsessions, like win a workout and not realizing that, Hey, it's just your health and fitness. So uh, that, that kind of filled that void. And then when I obviously just got more into it and realized, Hey, there's a CrossFit open, there's a CrossFit games and you can actually do this as a real sport. Okay. Then, then I was, interested and um as you say like it's initially it's definitely not doesn't favor a big guy when most workouts are as i say, like taking a barbell from the ground to overhead well if you're taller you put that barbell's going a long lot further away right um and you got to get yourself to the floor and back up again for a burpee well you're going a lot further down and lifting a lot more weight but i think once you get past the um once you get past the open and even past the semi-finals you'll see it at the games especially um the, the variety of the of the test is, is enough that it almost goes back to being a big person sport a little bit again. And if you look at traditional sports like, you know, football and basketball and track and field, swimming, normally in traditional mindset, when you think of, a, of an athlete, you think of someone who's like six foot or taller, huge, you know, like big, like big athletes, right? Like, you know, kind of like superhero kind of characters. Uh, and so I think that's, that's there's a return of that. Like not that the short person's out, not by any means, but it's definitely CrossFit's now like a pretty even field of athletes in the games. You see, like you just got to get past that initial state. You know, when you're at the gym or for the open, it's hard to program a sled pull or something like that for guys. So you end up, yeah, you're doing burpees and thrusters, like it's just what it is. And so you'll see the little guys excel there. Um, 
but you just got to be in the mix, right? Just just get to the games, and then you can really make your move as a big athlete. You say that, but but you and Jason Hopper both won semifinals, and that was before the games. That's, yeah, and that's so true. Maybe, yeah, so. maybe it is like um, it's time for the big guy to get some get some pub. Yeah, I think I think the semifinal. I mean, especially this year, the semifinals did an excellent job of. Um, they just went above and beyond, I guess, what people expected of those comps as far as resourcing. Like, so, so the two guys who run the, the comp in our regions, our region is Australia and New Zealand. And the, the two guys who run it, they actually own the gym I work at, Mike and Jono. And they own Cross Victorian and they run the Torian Pro. And so um, highest integrity, like as, as an employee there, I, I had no idea what the programming was. Like not a single hint. They, they basically didn't even come into the gym for like six months. They, they set up their office at the Queensland Tennis Centre where the, where the comp was hosted and they just worked. Like, and, they, and myself and, and Dasha, our, our office admin, we, we ran the gym. Like we ran the gym while they did the pro. But I know those two boys. And I know what the, the effort and dedication they put in. Like I know that Mike had the workouts. He ran the workouts past Rich. Um, to get to get you know expert expert athlete info, they were required to submit them to CrossFit. So CrossFit had their say, and like so, there was so many checks and balances, and they worked really hard. And and then Michael Jones just pulled out all the stops as far as um, creating not just good workouts that, that tested us, but also in um, resourcing things that that made it a good test as well. Like not being limited by, oh, this is going to be really hard to pull off. Maybe we should just make the the workout. Maybe we should sacrifice the workout. To make the logistics a bit easier, it was like, no, we'll, we'll do the hard thing, even though it's going to cost us another ten grand in in whatever you know feature we have to get pay someone to do or whatever um, level of resource we can find, and we'll get the extra gear or we'll we'll, we'll get the extra twenty judges we need per lane to make this thing work. And so, um, and I think a lot of the, all the semifinals really stepped up like that in a big way. So, I think um, yeah, the programming has never been so good at that level of competition as it was this year. And and I think you're right, as you see it was a more fair result. Like even in our region, like I won it. One point behind me was Jay Crouch. who's much smaller than me as far as like, he's a, he's a, what do you call a smaller athlete? 85 kilos, uh, or 185 pounds. And probably he's probably like five, eight, five, nine, maybe five, ten. Um, and then Baden came third and he's a similar stature to Jay, but maybe a bit more like strong Mandy. Like he's really, he's um he's a country boy and he's just like amazing runner, um, you know, great at pulling, pulling and, and pushing sleds. And so you got, we've got three basically different athletes all within a few points of each other. I think it was very balanced, very balanced programming. So you said you, you did sport growing up, and I, and I read somewhere you did Australian football and tennis. Now, for us in the States, Australian football can mean a couple things. Yeah. It, it, was, it, was it soccer or was it Australian no. football? Yeah, it was, it was the, the actual sport is called Australian Football League, AFL. And uh, it's, it's very similar to Gaelic football. It's kind of it's like, so, it, imagine if you can play soccer with your hands. It, it's a really, really simplified version of it. So when, when we first got an ESPN here in the States, um, they didn't have enough programming. So the AFL was on all the time here. Yeah. And, and I fell in love with the sport. I loved watching it. I didn't really understand yeah. it probably completely. But I just love the the way it was played, um, and I um, and it, and then yeah, I'd love when the officials do the yeah the goal yeah. yeah. AFL is pretty cool. Like it's it's unique. I feel as a, as a spectator sport amongst the team sports where um, it, it's 
more so than other sports, it's designed to really flow. Like there's there's very few deliberate stoppages unless they unless they need to for the sake of the play. Um, you know, like in obviously in NFL, it's all by plays and and downs. And then rugby is the same thing. It's done by tackles. And then in rugby league, it's done by a certain number of tackles and you hand over. In union, there's there's certain uh, rules around the tackles. Soccer obviously has the offside rules, so you kind of got to play a chess match of forward and back and, and wait wait for the, for the chance to strike. AFL, it's a bit of a it can be a bit of a melee sometimes, a bit of a bit of chaotic. It may be a bit almost like sloppy. But when two really good teams are playing, it's it's quite beautiful how it just keeps flowing in the and there's really not many dull moments. So it's it's nice in that way. Yeah, I um, and I know during COVID, it was one of the sports that came back first. And so here in the yeah. States, it actually gained some popularity again uh, because yeah, nice. it was something to watch. Yeah, that's cool. So you did that and tennis. That's a that's kind of an odd match. Yeah, so it was I basically played AFL all through school um, when I was about 16, 17, which is super late to start. I, um, I started playing some tennis at a local uh, club just because tennis was a, was a sport that always looked cool to me. I just thought it was, uh, it was it's fun to play socially and I wanted to, I wanted to play it like a bit more just organized, organized league. So I was like 16 playing against like 10 year old kids who would kick my ass because they've been playing since they could pick up a racket. And I was like, you know, big, like big Neanderthal who didn't know what he's doing. So it's, that was very humbling to see like, yeah, like it's these, these guys when they're making their debut at a, at a grand slam and they're like 22 years old. They've been playing for about 15 years and they're just like, it's, it's phenomenal. So, so when you started doing CrossFit, what was the point you knew that you were going to be good enough to compete on a professional level? Um, for me personally, that's a funny one. That was, that was a really slight edge for me. Like it just, it was just piece by piece. Like I did the open in 2013 for fun. And uh, I didn't do very well at all, like ranking wise, but I just felt like, hey, I, I, I feel like we can go. I got a lot to improve here. I can make up, I can make big improvements in a lot of these areas and, and do better. And then the next year, 2014, was um, like a decent showing. And then kind of 15, 16, and 17, those three years were just like, they were like progress years where just every year got a little better and, and just set the goal slightly higher. Like 2015 was, oh, it'd be cool to make it to a regional, which was like the semifinals of the, of back then. And then just missed out, but got really close. So I thought, okay, 16 will do it. 16 was cool because I didn't make, we didn't make regionals, me and me and CJ at the time, but then our team made it to regionals. So we thought, oh, we'll go as a team, that'll be fun. And then our team made the CrossFit Games. So that was really cool. All of a sudden we're at the Games now and we're getting to hang out with CrossFit Mayhem because they, they were going team. And, and then 17, I made it individually. And then, I, and then so 18 was like, okay, maybe I can make that top five and go to the CrossFit Games myself individually. And so I did that 19 and 20, obviously was on the team with Mayhem. And then this year it was back to individual because I, I would have gone team with Mayhem again, with Mayhem Independence, because it would have been nice to actually go to the Games. We qualified last year, but um, we couldn't go because of COVID. They just the individuals. It would have been nice to go with Independence, but they changed the rules again. So it was like they wanted to be teams from the affiliates, not not super teams. So um, Chase went with uh, with Rich on on the Mayhem team, and uh, obviously being you know more than 100 miles away <laughs> on the side of the ocean, um, I, I went individually. We we had a couple of ideas for a team in our in our gym, but a few of the boys um, that want that were key for the team wanted to go individual. Just even if they didn't make the games, they wanted to go to the, to the pro individually because we were all pretty excited about Mike and Joe getting the bids for the pro, like for the semi. We're all proud of them. We wanted to, we knew it was going to be a great, like 
we knew those boys put on the show. So we all wanted to go and experience that. And it was like a mini game. It was, it was amazing. So I don't think anyone regrets not making a team out of, out of our gym. I think they all liked the, the individual experience they got on the floor. So in, so you went to the games in 16 with Torian, your home gym. Um, and then in 19, you went on like a super team with Invictus Boston. In, uh, yeah, I was. The, well, I didn't actually. I didn't actually make it to the games, but they asked me if I could be their. Um, uh, what's it called? The reserve. Alternate. alternate. So I was. I was the alternate. And so it's kind of like, by the time you get maybe like a week, uh, maybe even less. Maybe by the time you get about three days before the games, you know that you're you're in it now. Like it's, if you, someone breaks their leg, you're not going to really get the alternate there in time. So it's kind of like you're committing. But it was, it, the alternate's almost more for like the months leading up to the games, if someone gets injured in training, that you you know you can have a backup. So yeah, I was I was there for them. And then um, come like the week of the games, it was like, all right, um, I'm just going to watch. <laughs> so in, tw- in 20, you get hooked up with Mayhem. And how did that go down? Well, I was actually, I actually got hooked up with Mayhem <clears throat> back in uh, 19. So I, I've been following the Mayhem programming since 2016. And in, in 2018, when I made the games, I contacted Rich and just let him know, hey, I'm, I'm one of the Mayhem athletes and I've just made the games. And Rich was like, that's awesome. Come on out to Tennessee and we'll, we'll train together and prep for the games. So I kind of did like an athlete camp with them before the games in 18. Um, got to know those guys really well. 2019, they needed the space, they needed a spot um, build on the Independence team for the Rogue Invitational. So I went over for that. And then um, I ended up doing like two or three more comps that year with, with Mayhem in 19 with Independence. Um, and we just couldn't clinch the spot. And so it was actually at the French throwdown. We were versing it, uh, the Invictus team, and they they won the spot from that comp. Um, and Tola just messaged me and said, hey, man, do you, could, could we put you down as our alternate? And I asked the, um, the Mayhem guys if that's cool, and, and they had no problem with it, so I did that. Um, but then in 2020, it was we, were, we knew we were going to come back, bring that uh, independence team back together and uh, and get some redemption, get that spot, which we did. We, we got the spot out of Waterpalooza. And then we, those guys came to Australia and we did one of the Australian comps and we won that one too. Um, so that was awesome. And that was actually right before COVID hit. That was in like Feb. Then March was when like all the, all the countries that are closing borders. So that was like the last trip they all went on. The last time like an America could get to Australia for like the last two years really. And it was pretty cool that we stuck that in that awesome trip. And they, those guys after the comp, they went down to like Byron Bay for a couple of weeks, like a week or two. And, they went and did some touristy stuff and really kind of soaked up the trip, which is awesome because you know it hasn't been a chance to come back since. Um, so it was it was awesome. it was a really good year. Even though we didn't compete the games and everything went kind of you know everything the world kind of went to went to COVID, um, that was still an awesome like little experience to sneak in there. Yeah, it had to be kind of a, a disappointment not to be able to finish off the year with that team because you guys were really good. Um, you know, you had you had the two mayhem teams that qualified. And it would have been cool to see both of them at the games to see kind of that grudge match that, that we sometimes get to see with that. Yeah, that would have, that would have been an awesome game for sure. But, you know, it is what it is. And so because of those training camps, and because of being on the Mayhem team, you've gotten tight with that Tennessee crew. And um, especially Sam, from what we hear. And so you, you went back this year. Now, you know, COVID is back strong again in, in Australia. And let's go back to the Torian. It was during the Torian that lockdown started happening again. 
Yeah, Australia, well, the Australian government is, they've really, they've really made the hill they're going to die on the fact that Australia has such a, like a low case number. They, they really pat themselves on the back about keeping, keeping it a relatively low threat in this country. So they're kind of trigger happy. They're, they're a, bit of addict, a bit addicted to the lockdowns, in my opinion. Like there's, when cases start spiking, it's time for lockdown, even though a spike in cases might be 20 cases. You know what I mean? Which sounds ridiculous in every every other place in the world, but they're kind of proud of that. Of like, look at us, we got a hundred cases total, and you guys will suck. So <laughs> yeah, there was a bit of a scare with a few cases in Melbourne, and then they were going to have a lockdown. That nearly shut the pro down because it was like doing the contact tracing, they call it, and it's like, oh, who's been this person been to the pro? That means does that mean the pro is infected? Ultimately, we we you know, followed all the guidelines that the, the government laid out. Obviously, we got to do the right thing, and um. And it was and it was all fine. Like Michael Jenner was, was sorted out for a bit, but they gave us a go ahead in Queensland. Our state was still open, even though Melbourne was was a bit in trouble. So um, it all went ahead. It was all successful, and you know, surprise, surprise, it wasn't a super spreader event. No one that I know of got COVID after the pro. Um, but then you know, just just I guess these things happen. Like cases come from who knows where, and so yeah, in the last kind of six months, Australia, a lot of the states have gone back into lockdown as they, as the cases spike up. Um, but it's it's I guess it's not as bad as it looks on TV, right? Like I don't think it affects the average person's life. It's just I mean that's the government's job, I suppose, is to is to worry about this kind of stuff. It's just um, it just seems like they're not invested in like I mean they like our vaccine program did roll out was rolled out way later than most countries. Like although they pat themselves on the back about keeping the cases low, they didn't they didn't get any vaccines mobilized. And then so the government's all not letting lockdowns end until we're all vaccinated, but you guys didn't even get the vaccines out available for us anyway. So it's just, I feel like, you know, governments are a necessary evil, but they're also <laughs> don't always don't always do their job efficiently <clears throat> or effectively. But yeah, that's the nature of the beast, right? Everyone's a critic. Do you think that, do you think that the scare in Melbourne and Melbourne um, affected the attendance at the Torium? Uh, I, I just honestly, with, with my hand in my heart, I don't think so very much. I think the I think the average Australian is not is not honestly that scared of, of COVID. Like I don't think anyone in the world is that scared. Like everyone wants to do the right thing and, and not be irresponsible per se. But I, I doubt there was. There might have been some. Of course, there would have been some. But I doubt most people were not going to go to the pro because I might catch COVID and die. Like I don't think anyone was that that worried and. We knew as well as, as Queenslanders that the, the Australia has the bubble happening between states, so it was highly unlikely it would spread through Queensland because of the pains that, that the event organisers go to to keep keep things clean. So it was. I think I think the attendance was was pretty pretty good. Awesome. And uh, and so then you came to Tennessee to train. How was that trying to get to the states uh, during that time? Um, the process to come over is pretty, pretty simple. Whoa. Um, sorry, um, the, the process to get over to the States is actually pretty smooth. You just apply for, a, for an exemption from the federal government for travel. You, know, you give them their reasons, competing in sport. CrossFit was good about supplying us with, a, with an official invite, a letter about our sport being legitimate. Uh, and I got approved without too much fuss. Um, you, you, got the, you have a negative test to go on the plane. And so you present your test and your, and your exemption to the airport and off you go. And then in America, it depends on where you go, obviously, but in, in Tennessee, things are pretty open, things are pretty chill. So 
wasn't much issue there. I obviously wanted to make sure I wasn't going to spread COVID around the Mayhem camp and like ruin their performances. Um, but you know, Rich was very welcoming, and, and I was staying at his house, and he he wasn't he wasn't worried. He'd already had it, so he was he was effectively immune. I had a negative test, so it, it was it was all good. And we had a pretty much little bubble. Our crew, you know, up at up at Rich's house anyway. And then and then you know we all tested negative for games, so obviously we did something right as far as um you know, keeping keeping ourselves safe. Coming home is, is, was just as easy, really. Like the the drama was. Australia has caps on how many people are allowed in the country per day, just they a controlled number of people going to the quarantine and stuff. And so there was a bit of drama with like getting a flight cancelled and it was back on. Then you then you were shifted to a different flight as the airlines try to almost keep up in a delay with with the Australian government like hitting their cap each time and being like, oh, caps reached, so these flights have to be cancelled. So people get one the next day, so on and so forth. I was very fortunate, um, very blessed that it went really smoothly on the way home. And uh, and once again, need a negative test to get on the plane. Whoa! And um, and you present that, and and you're good. So effectively, I mean, there, there was a couple of gaps, I guess, in my trip. But theoretically, from the moment I left Brisbane to the to the to this current moment, I've uh, I've been COVID free, <laughs> which is yeah, pretty pretty lucky considering all the flying and traveling and people I've interacted with. And so, um, so I actually talked to Ellie Turner at the games, um, and mm-hmm. she she got really messed up in that whole process with her flight yeah, getting canceled yeah. and and bumped around a little bit. Um, so let me ask you this: What is that fourteen day quarantine like? Do you have to stay in your hotel room the whole time? Are you allowed to go outside? Sorry, I'm good. Put my laptop on charge. Um, yes, so the quarantine. Uh-huh. The quarantine is uh, kind of the hallmark of. Um, of Australia's uh, COVID defence, yeah, I guess plan. It, it, any arriving international has to spend 14 days in this hotel room, which effectively means that even if you had COVID, by the time you you can get out, you wouldn't be contagious anymore. And it, and it, you know, it has worked as far as yes, obviously Australia has some of the lowest cases in the world. Um, however, in my opinion and a few people's opinions, it is a bit um, potentially overkill. As far as you you enter and you're tested a total of three times what's in quarantine, and then you you get a test uh, two days after you leave quarantine, like wherever you wherever you go on to, whether you're going out into Sydney or back into Queensland, or whatever, you test again. And so, with four negative deaths across the two weeks, you almost feel like if, if this testing is worth anything, which you know potentially you can get false negatives and so on, but. If the testing is worth anything, it should be maybe a, you know two negative tests, one when you arrive and one three days later, and then off you go. Now, there's no need, in my opinion, no need to hold people in there for 14 days if you trust the testing. And if you don't trust the testing, then why bother testing people in quarantine? Just put them in there for 14 days and don't worry about it. So it's, you know, like I said, easy for me to criticise, but it, it's not too bad of an experience, but it's definitely a strange feeling to feel like you're a you've done something wrong, you're still a criminal, being locked up for two weeks, but it's like, well, you know, I know this, I know it was my choice to go overseas, but the government didn't give me an exemption, like they approved me for this, it wasn't like I did something wrong, they knew I was coming back, they said yes I can go, and yes I can come back, so, you know, I feel like it's uh, it's a bit of a funny funny situation, but it, it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty sterile, like you're in this hotel room, you even get you know, the key to the hotel, because you can't leave, so what, why do you need the key for? Like, don't worry about it, and 
that you can't even go out to the hallway. You're allowed to open the door to get like your food and like deliveries and stuff from in front of your door. You have to wear your mask just to open the door. That's the rule. If they catch you opening your door without wearing a mask, you can get fined the same fine as if you were like trying to leave quarantine. Wow. <clears throat> That's Security crazy. guard is posted at the elevator on every level. So if anyone tries to do a runner, they're like they're gonna lock you down. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty full on. It's like little prisons. And in fact, the the federal government, our, our government is building specialized facilities now. They're gonna service the quarantine facilities so we have to keep using hotels. And so they they're effectively building quarantine prisons that will like their only uh, purpose will be to like lock people up when they arrive. 14 days and Ellie man I thought Ellie got screwed so she South Australia where she's from that state I don't know what their issue is but they won't accept your quarantine when you arrive as proof of like so basically Ellie was going to have to quarantine twice she had to land in Sydney which they grab you off the plane that you can't leave you have to quarantine right there on the spot 14 days in Sydney and then she's going to fly back to, to Adelaide and they're going to make the quarantine again 14 days she managed to can get an exemption that to serve that second quarantine at home. So thankfully she's back home, like has a little home gym, fresh air, like can just, you know, basically a, a forced two week holiday at home. Can't leave still, but people can deliver her stuff. Whereas in Queensland, much more reasonable. When I arrive at the Queensland airport, I present my document from the New South Wales police saying I've done my quarantine. I have my, my negative COVID test and um, the receipts to prove that I like, got a COVID safe taxi and went straight from the, hotels at the airport didn't you know go out to the Sydney Zoo or something stupid and have a good time and uh and Queensland go yes that's that's acceptable you can you can come in and, and no quarantine for you yeah okay so so all that happens and you're away from your family for how long all said and done it was about seven weeks and so how, I know that you need to focus because you're training for the games but how hard is that on you as a dad and a husband uh, it, it went through it went through like different um, peaks and valleys, I guess, of like of being, you know, pretty pretty messed about it. When I was first leaving Australia, I was like, oh no, I've done the right thing. Like, I, I don't think I can do this seven weeks away. I don't think I can handle it. Uh, once I got to Tennessee, obviously, like that Mayhem crew was like a second family, and so that was it was really comforting to be around Rich and Hillary and their kids and. And you, we just stay busy. Like we're training all day. We're focused. You know, it's a good group of people there. So that, that makes it quite easy. Like it's only at night when I would like FaceTime the boys as they're waking up back home in Australia. And it was like pretty tough to be like, you know, see their faces and not get to hug them and stuff. But it, it was just, it was, it was easier to focus because like we had, had a team behind me. We were all focused on the same thing. We're staying busy and, and we had a goal. So the time kind of went, went quick. The days, the days went by quick before we knew it. We we're at the games. And then that was just like, if I, even if I was home during the games, I would barely, like for the pro, for example, I barely saw my family over that, over that weekend. So I'm away all day, come home, go to bed, get up before they get up and, and head out. So the games just like a normal comp to me. And then the two weeks in quarantine, you'd think it'd be the worst, but there was something like so comforting about being back on home soil, being on the same timeline, only being a, you know, an hour away from them at most. And, um, and just be able to, you know, when I FaceTime them at the same time, you know, it's their morning, it's my morning. And it was just, that was quite nice. And that, that quarantine time did pass pretty quick. And then before I know it, back home. And it was, and it, you know, the minute I walked in the door within an hour of being home and, and kind of catching up and unpacking and stuff, it was like I never left. Like it's just straight back into the good time. So, um, yeah, 
always easier on the other side of it. So we get through it, you know, on the front side of it, it feels impossible, but once you through it, it was like, I'm glad I did that. That was definitely worth it. And now we're all, we're all back together. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. The timeline difference had to be huge. I mean, I mean, just doing an interview with you and, I, and I've, and I've interviewed a couple other Australian uh, athletes. It, it's really hard. Cause I, you know, it's really late here and you're just getting up and uh, that's going to be tough. For are, you, are you East Coast or West Coast? I'm East Coast. Yeah, yeah, so even yeah, even worse, I think. Yeah, because you're yeah, you're you're the furthest ahead in the country. Like the West Coast is behind you by yeah. three hours, right? Yep, two hours. Yeah, yeah. So I think we're about um, sixteen hours apart. So we're, Tennessee is the central time zone. So the central is is fifteen hours ahead. Uh, sorry, fifteen hours behind Australia. So when I'm going to bed, like you know, nine ten p.m., it's the next morning at like eight a.m. ish for the for the yeah. kids, or like six a.m. ish. So yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. And, and so I do, I, we talked to Sam and he told me to ask you um, that what was your favorite moment in training for the games in Tennessee? I'm assuming there's a story there, but. Did he he mean this ironically? Yeah. Was he setting me up? Was this a joke? There was, um, there was one incident that that we all, we all fondly remember. It was like one of the first, like one of the, I think probably the last week out before the games and we'd all, um, it's so funny. We always, all these inside jokes, but we're, we're entering what we call taper week, knowing full well there's no such thing as a taper week when it comes to rich voting. And even Rich himself now, now that he's a bit older, he's a bit more of the mindset of like, oh, maybe we should just chill out a bit. But then Haley is like a young Rich Froning. Like, she is a go getter. She is like, there's no like slacking off with Haley. Like, she's motivated. So we're doing this workout. It was like me and Tyler were partners, Sam and Luke were partners, Rich and Haley were partners. You just do one for one. It was pretty, pretty cruisy, like on paper. It was 21 cow echo bike, 15 baby box jump overs, and then nine sandbag cleans. You could do that. You could do that kind of moderate pace. It wouldn't be too bad. But obviously, you get to do a bit of a race. Everyone's trying to push. And it was just, for some reason, just with all the fatigue of the, of the last couple of weeks of training and just, you know, how we were feeling, it was just really sucky. Like, you would get through a round and just kind of like, Oh, sitting down on the bench, like Tyler would start biking, and I'm just like thinking, oh man, this, this sucks. Like, I'm in so much pain. And uh, we didn't know how many sets we we're doing. Richard said something like, oh, we'll do like six to eight, like maybe just six, yeah, paper week. And Haley was like, in the middle of it, she's like, I'm going to do eight. I was like, that's right. At first, she said, I'm going to do 10, which is like, we're not doing 10. That's too many, too many sandbag things. It's like, all right, I'm doing eight. And Sam was like, no, 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 we'll do six. And Haley and basically they were they were bickering like like brother and sister. But basically it ended when Haley just goes, Fine, you do six, I'm doing eight. And Sam was like, <laughs> So he did eight. And I'm in the back of the room, me and Tyler at the back of the ring, we can't we couldn't hear any of this. We, I'm just like looking at Rich being like, So how many are we doing? Rich just keeps going, Ugh. Anyway, at one point we finally hear that we're doing eight and I was just like, oh, it's just good to know, like I'm two to go, all right, let's go. But I'm in the back here joking. I was joking later with, with Sam. I'm thinking to myself, like, hey, I'd be happy with four, guys. Let's just do four rounds. Like, this sucks. So that was like, yeah, it was, it was, at the time, it was like not funny. But like later on, like a couple hours later, we were doing a podcast actually, and we were talking about it. And it was, um, it's just plastic. Like, that is, that is the hijinks you get up to in the barn when, like, it's, it's, it is really a mental test. Like, it's, it's, it's not letting you know how many rounds we're doing, like, deciding on the fly. It's a good, it is a good test. Like, you get that that frustration and that um, that emotion is boiling over and I'm in the back here, negative self-talk, like, oh, I can't do this. And 
Sam's like, I don't want to do more. I want to stop now. And Haley's like, let's do more. And, it, and it's good because it, it gives you a safe space to practice like freaking out in a, in a workout and just dealing with it. And like everything's going wrong. We don't know what we're doing. And, you know, everyone's like upset. But it's, but it's good. Like it's working that, that competitive, um, what happens on the floor when things don't go right? Are you going to fall apart? Are you going to like just put your head down and keep working? And then at the end, you, you, you feel better for it. So it's kind of like, yeah, pretend like practice meltdowns, I guess. And, um, and it's, I think it's, it's part of the secret to building like good athletes is that you, you don't get everything to go your way. Like that little bit of uncertainty when we start the workout, not really knowing how many steps we're going to do. It gives you a bit of a sick feeling in your stomach, like, oh man, like, when will this end? Like, that that uncertainty is good because you feel that a lot across the game. So, what's it like? Like, a lot of us don't get the opportunity to work out at the barn, right? Um, I've been to Mayhem, but I've never been to the barn. What's it like getting to work out with that crew um, pretty regularly? It's super humbling for starters, just because, like, you're just with a high caliber of athletes. And it's so concentrated, like it's just like there's no one there that sucks. Like everyone is awesome. You're not going to get given an inch. So like it's a real, it's like doing a mini games every day in training because you're like like this hot heat of amazing athletes. Um, so super humbling in that way, um, but also super motivating because like everyone's a competitor, but we're also like we're also family. It's kind of like us versus everyone else. It's mayhem versus the the, the rest of the field. So. Um, it's very collaborative, like, you know, we're getting encouraged from each other and, and help and like, you know, I'll be, I'm, like, I'm trying to beat Sam, he's trying to beat me, but then he's like, you know, when I'm starting to fall apart in a workout, he's like cheering me on and or I'm trying to give him a tip on how to, you know, how to hold a bar, hold the barbell better or something, who knows what, but like, there's always a lot of collaboration. So it's super, super humbling, but also super inspiring and just really motivating. Like the kind of volume we do, like I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't get through that volume if I did get through that volume at home. I would definitely would take me longer in the day to do it, but it's just so motivating with the group to like get in there and rip in and, and attack the workouts and, and, you know, you're resting less than you thought you would. And it's, yeah, it's really good. So how, how much better of an athlete have you become because of your relationship with Rich and, and that crew? Uh, it's, it's almost hard to quantify, but I, I say like, I mean, that I, like I said, I did mayhem programming, since 2016 exclusively. So that alone I credit with, with getting me to the games in the first place. And then from 18 through to 21, in the last three years, going from, I think I was like 34th and 18, like yeah, fifth last basically, to being able to punch in the top 20, coming came 16th overall this year, um, but finished two different days, like finished the day in the top 10. So I was pretty proud of that as well. But once again, I credit that to, to the programming and to the environment, like the difference between 18 and now has been obviously just just more years of doing the programming, but then also being physically around the crew more. That's so getting me to the games in eighteen was the programming, getting me a great result. The games was the the association, the learning, and like the <clears throat> the osmosis. You know, the the un the uh, what's the word? The not the not obvious kind of unseen lessons you learn from, but just the mindset and the and the um, the deliberate nature of of attacking a workout, like not just Rich won't do any workout just to go through the motions. Like it's when the clock starts, like it's deliberate. Like this is this time to get better for the next 10 minutes, 20 minutes, hour. My goal is to get better, not just tick the box, just to say I did the workout, you know, just to, just so I can post on social media how much volume I've done. Like the volume's irrelevant, really. The volume just happens by, by automatic because Rich is so fit. He needs that much volume to kind of get a response. It's, 
It's about being deliberate with, I'm doing this for a result. And that's, that's a huge game changer in training. So you also, in your Instagram, say Jesus first. It's no secret that Rich has that same philosophy. Does your faith grow when you go to Tennessee? Hundred percent. So, so I, I consider Rich a, a mentor in in obviously CrossFit. He's one he's one of the best in the world, definitely better than myself. And one of the things that attracted me the most to to his program and to kind of following his example was that he's a Christian and uh, and a super outspoken one. And, and everyone and he said like it's no secret, everyone knows it, which is kind of if you're a real Christian, everyone should know it. Like you're supposed to witness. And then um, and then. Obviously, I have three kids now, but um, back at the time when I first started getting into Mayhem programming, I didn't have any kids. Rich and Hillary had just started their family. And so he, he was kind of a few years ahead of me and well, well, career-wise ahead of me in CrossFit, like better than me. Um, he was he was someone of faith who I learned a lot from just reading his book and just his experience. And then he was also, you know, a young family, him and, him and his wife. So um, we were fortunate enough on, when we went over in 18, I was able to bring Jack, who, who we only had Jack at the time, and my wife Laurie and, and Laurie hung out with Hillary a lot and Jack and went to play with Trice and it was a nice little family family trip as well. So yeah, I consider Rich and Hillary um, good examples and mentors in, in all aspects of life, faith, fitness and family, not just that he's a good crossfitter. And so definitely I always come back. Um, it's just good to hang out with good people. Like fellowship among Christians is a very important biblical principle and it's just always amazing to, to have fellowship with these good people. You know, Tasia, I learned so much, so much from her spiritually. Um, Luke P, awesome bloke and a really good Christian. So it's, it's, a, it's truly a great little little um, crew there doing doing some great work, the Mayhem Mission stuff. It's, it's very inspiring. And so you looked at Rich as a mentor, and now we know that Sam looks at you as a mentor and a, like a big brother. And so how does it feel to pass on that mentorship to another younger athlete now coming up in the sport? <laughs> I'm super humbled because uh, honestly, I'd, I'd say probably Sam is, is actually fitter than I am. So it's, um, I, I probably get more out of training with him than he gets out of training with me. But um, I guess like I, I, I'm just older, I suppose. So there's this wisdom that just comes from experience. And um, I've just happened to have had a few more experiences than Sam, I guess. So I'm, I'm super humbled that he, that he, uh, finds value in, in some of the perspectives I have to share. Um, but at the same token, um, it's most of what I know I've, I've learned from watching Rich and others in the sport and Scott Panchik and those guys have come before us. And um, so I feel like it's just, it's a natural progression for the, you know, the older generation. It's the, it's the whole stand on the shoulders of giants kind of thing. You just ever, the next generation always, always learns from the one before it. And I'm just, humbled and proud to do my my small part in that in that line well we'd be remiss not to talk about this year's games you had an awesome performance your best in your career um you win the torian pro you make it to the games uh you finish top 20 how psyched were you after the second day to know you got into the top 20 and you were going to get to lift that heavy barbell on saturday night in the coliseum um yeah Honestly, when that snatch was announced before the games and we and we realized after Castro did his announcement that the snatch was going to be after the cut to 20, it, it became like a literal goal of mine to like, I've got to make that top 20 so I can do that event. Like I just have to get to that event. It'll be, I'll be heartbroken if I'm there in the stands watching everyone snatch and I couldn't be a part of it. So 
um, that second that second day for me, the first day didn't go badly, but the second day was really where I made some moves and got most of my top fives, and that was super rewarding. That was like a as the, you know, as the saying goes, the hard work pays off. Like it's not just you're not just obviously you have to execute on the day, but it's also it's the whole year of training come to a culmination. Like the performance you get that day is because you just went out there and, and wanted it really badly. It happened because you put the hours in all year to be that fit, to be that you know, have that much endurance on the on the rock climb, for example, or to whatever it is. And then you, you manage to still execute it on the day, like you use your potential. But you've but you've built this kind of result all year round. So it's super rewarding. And then um yeah, just this phenomenal amount of relief that night when I was like, hang on, mathematically I can't be cut. Like, you know, if I come dead last in the run, <laughs> funny funny story. If I come dead last in the run, I can't I can't drop below twentieth. So it was like awesome like listen so tomorrow's gonna be a good day you know yeah the run is not my favorite event but then event 11 is still unannounced but something cool in the coliseum and then the snatch is going to be an awesome time so what was that like you know we hear the coliseum is loud that those one rep maxes always get the crowd going you finished second in that correct yes um so you're right there till the end you got to go to the single platform what was the feeling like getting to lift in front of that crowd? The the first kind of 10, 10 lifts or so on the, or whatever it was, sorry, five lifts on the double platform, it was, that was just more nerve wracking. That was exciting because it, it was a long wait between lifts, big rotation. It's very like high pressure, very much like a real weightlifting competition, which I'm fortunate enough to have done quite a bit here in Australia, done, done lifted at the Australian Nationals a few times and, so I'm kind of used to that pressure and that game. The weightless I don't understand. It's very, it's it's really a strategy game of like, because because there's a, a specific order and how a lifters come out from who gets to lift next, and you can play with that order and mess up your competitors by by moving your weight selection around. It's it's really chaotic of like it's not like in CrossFit where you can just lift when you feel like it. Like you you are playing someone else's game, and then when you step out on the platform everyone's looking at you, you've got three judges who just can't wait to push the red button to, to decline your list. So it's a high pressure situation. And I've been in that situation before, so that helped me a lot with, with the nerves of like, hey, we're all on the bench here, like we have to lift, but like, I'm ready to go now, but there's like eight more people in front of me, I can't go yet. And then you only have 20 seconds, if you miss it, you're kind of screwed. And so that was just more nerve wracking. And then when the, when the crowd thinned to only 10 of us, we moved to the big platform. A, it's a big relief because you've made top 10. And then B, you got a bigger window to lift with, which even though you theoretically shouldn't need more time, ironically, I did miss one lift, so I needed the window, but it just made you feel like you had a safety net, in which case you you just, just give the confidence to go a little harder. So that was when it started to get fun. It's like, okay, this is pretty cool. Like, here we are. We're all on the one platform. The crowd is like, the crowd's phenomenal. Like, the fans are so cool. And so it was like, all right, this is, this is where you get to really just enjoy it now. Every lift after this is a gift. Yeah, so so we talked to a few athletes from the games and we asked them the question, what was your favorite moment? And many of them, it's not really the one that they finished the best in, but it was a moment that they had a personal kind of breakthrough. Did you have any of yeah. those moments at the games? Yeah, exactly the same for me. And I think that um, once again, it comes back to what you're saying about like, um, it's, it's, all the, it's all the training from the whole year paying off. Like you want to see, you want to see, the hard work make a difference and, and not necessarily, yeah, your wheelhouse stuff. And also, you, you feel, I, I personally, and I think a lot of athletes agree, you feel more valid about a good 
performance in a workout that technically you shouldn't be good at. Whereas if it's a gimme, like if it's something that you're known for, famously good at, it's kind of like, yeah, I, I, I win the win, but you know, I, I get lucky with a good workout. It's when when the workout's not good for you or, or doesn't look good for you, and you and you smash it, that you're like, okay, I'm actually fit. Like I did this. And for me, that event was the event eight, the handstand walk. Now I'm actually pretty good at handstand walks. I consider them one of my better movements. But with um, but you know, you don't know how you stack up against the field of like you know, all great athletes. And a lot of those guys are former gymnasts and it had the extra curveball of the parallel bars. And we had that in 2018 as well. And I didn't finish that event. Like the parallel bars threw me for a loop and I, I didn't manage to um, get across them the first time. And then after that, I just I couldn't kind of, my stamina were gone. I couldn't pull it together. So this time I actually just had a very calculated pace along the handstand. We'll broke up virtually every obstacle it was kind of one of the last to get to the far end and then finished second in my heat behind Justin Medeiros. So um, beating out guys like Yanukovsky, Goodmanson, Belknap, who are all you know, really good gymnasts and on their hands. And um, fourth overall for that one, like another top five. So that was probably my proudest of like, yeah, that was cool. Um, and no one, you know, not that I'm bad at handstand walking per se, but you just wouldn't look at the biggest guy on the field, the heaviest guy on the field and think he's going to crush the handstand walk. Um, I would have loved to have seen how much my, my parallel bars were bending under my weight because <laughs> it, would have, it would, have looked, would have looked interesting, I reckon, but that was, that was pretty cool for me. You actually read my mind because I don't think people realize those parallel bars are not stiff. They, they bow pretty well, and that's the difficulty of going across those. You being the heaviest athlete, you probably had the most bow in those parallettes and doing that well, that's, that's awesome. Because a lot of people on the way back, is that's where they stumbled. Yeah, so on the way over was the first thing we did. You were pretty fresh. You could, you could really take the whip. On the way back, when you were tired, you didn't have much margin to error. So if the, if the bar would whip in a weird way, it would really throw people off. And in 2018, this is what got me. So we, we had practiced parallel bars. Like Rich had been doing that a lot and programming that in Mayhem. And I'd set up like, you know, little short parallel bars at the gym. And I, I could do it pretty well. But then what I didn't anticipate was that flex in the bar. And, it, and it, it's not even that hard, really, balance-wise. It just it just psychs you out if you're not used to it. So that's what got me in 18. In 2021, I was ready for that and, and they would tackle it a lot more. But the reason for that bow is it's, it's safety, right? So in 2018, I stacked it. I, I came down sideways and just basically landed across the P-bars, like my whole body weight. And they basically just bounced me off. And I didn't even, didn't even feel it. It was, it was like fine. Like otherwise I would have broken the rib solid. So they're definitely bendy on the safety I'm glad they are. But like I said, it's just that extra curve ball. You just not, if you're not prepared for it, it'll, it'll psych you out. So um, awesome for me to get redemption on that as well. I was proud of it. So my last question, um, and actually I, I barely even looked at my notes. We just kind of talked um, is my last question is how do you balance everything in your life? How do you balance your faith, your fitness, your family, being a dad, being a husband, and being a, being a CrossFit coach and athlete? How do you find time for all of that? Uh, million dollar question, I guess. And, um, and honestly, I think it just comes down to, to seasons of life is the, is the expression, I guess, of like, I mean, right now with my kids, they're, they're pretty young. Like they, they themselves don't play any sport or, or go to school or anything like that yet. So like time with family is just literally like fun time. Like to them, it's all the same whether we're riding bikes in the park, you know, pushing them on the swing in, in, in my gym, um, setting up their little pull-up bar, mucking around in, on the living room, like whatever. It's just, it's just time with them. 
um, versus having to, you know, like I know Rich, for example, has to now balance like taking Lakeland to soccer on Saturdays. And so like he's, he's starting to like have to adapt his training, which we never, he never would have done back when he was individual. Now having to like take a back seat for the kids, right? So that'll be a different season of life when you, when you get there. But I'm pretty lucky with kids now being like, they just want to run around on the, on the gym mats in my gym while I, while I do a workout and they think that's fun. Um, and then set, same with my wife, like she knows what, what I'm, a, what I'm trying to do and, and career wise and hundred percent supports me. And so, you know, we just make time for, for that family balance outside of, of prime workout times. It's, it's made me get more organized as well. Like I had just have to take a chance to go train when I have the chance so that we can then have family time later versus what would be more of a luxury for me, which is just like waiting around till I feel motivated and, you know, hit the workout later on or whatever. It's like, just, just having that discipline to be like, no, get this done like it's your job so that we can go and actually have some family time later or whatever. And so we did that yesterday. Hit, hit a workout in the morning um, when I didn't feel like it so that we could then go up the up to the, the coast and hit the beach with, with the family and with Lois parents and had a great day. And, and yeah, super glad. And then work-wise, honestly, work is just so um, so supportive. Like the boys, you know, they're, they're so good with um it's helping me out with schedules. I can keep the training going. The members, Tory members, are like some of my big best fans, and it, without their support, I wouldn't have financially made for the games this year, especially because of the price of COVID. So, um, you know, everyone, I think it's just everyone's aligned and, and wants to see me do well. And so I'm, I'm super grateful that everyone is is pulling for me, and it makes the balance pr- pretty easy, honestly. And then faith-wise, that that kind of to me is is like just the start. It's it's the attitude I approach everything with. Is like is, is this, um, am, I, am I following God's will in this? Is this what he wants for my life or, is it, or am I doing this for my own glory? And they're not mutually exclusive, but, but I just, I mean, I'm not the best at it, but I always try to make sure it's, it's happening for the right reason first and then it'll, it'll benefit me in just the way it's supposed to because God loves me and he wants me to have the best for me. But the best for me might not be what I think it is, but it'll, it'll always be... Um, the best thing for me just gotta trust in God and, and move move in the way that I feel like he's pulling me you know for, for example we had a lot of prayer about the, about the trip to the games and, and whether it was the right path and basically the the absolute unheard of smooth run that I had of like getting all the testing back on time negative tests flights were, were fine I got home with virtually no drama completely negative tests again so forth that, that to me is, is evidence that, that I was, um, that this is what God wants for me. It was my purpose versus if I tested negative and had to pull out. I'm not saying that people who tested negative aren't doing what God wants for their life. I'm just saying it's relative to, to me. I'm making sure I'm on the right path and doing it for the right reasons and not just I'm chasing my own dream at the expense of my family. So that gives me and my wife confidence that we're, we're doing the right thing and we're setting up our, our family and life balance the right way. Well, that's awesome, Royce. This has been a this has been a blast. I'm so glad we got to connect. Um, I want to thank you for coming on. Um, I have a million other questions, but I want to respect your time and let you get back to that family and that balance. We're good. You want to do a part two later? All right. Sounds good, man. Thank you so much for listening to the Clydesdale Fitness and Friends, in partnership with the Morning Chalk Up. Please consider giving us a five-star rating and leaving us a review. It really helps our podcast. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week on the Clydesdale Fitness and Friends.